Hello, podcasters, and welcome once again to Sexplosion. My name is Caroline Shenier from carolineshenierCoaching.com. I'm your coach on all things intimacy, relationships, sex, and super consciousness. This is my podcast teaching you about how to sexually liberate yourself to become confident, spicy, and fun around intimacy and sex, along with learning about how to build a great foundation for strong, long-lasting, and passionate relationships. It is very truly unfiltered, uncensored, and unexpected. So, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking about sex and taboo in the Indian community. And I'm delighted to have the one and only beautiful Varsha Hathi. She is the UK's first accredited Asian divorce and breakup coach. She went through a traumatic divorce. She actually went through two divorces, which she'll talk about today. And she had to represent herself in court with no legal assistance, facing the emotional and financial agony of the divorce along with the huge cultural stigma attached to divorce in the Indian community. So because of having to face all that alone, she now coaches and supports other Asian women through divorce from beginning to end and beyond, where clients come out the other side stronger, happier, and live the life they desire and deserve. Varsha founded the All Women's Club group in Facebook, which is a community which empowers and supports women to become the true version of themselves. Um, she'll talk to you about how to join that club a bit later on. This year, she's published the book, I Am, about 35 empowering stories from women within her club who tell the story of the challenges and how they overcame them about the stories and challenges, about how they overcame them. Wow, Varsha, a very, very warm welcome and non-taboo welcome to Sexplosion. I feel so good to be here. <laughs> and what a nice introduction. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here at last. So uh, this is a very interesting subject, which is really... Uh, it is start again. So this is a very interesting subject which doesn't really get talked about. So Varsha, what I'd like you to do is to tell us how it all happened for you with these divorces and how it felt for you with the community and all about the sex and the taboo. Right. So it's an interesting journey. I come from, like you said, a very um, a community which is very uh, closed about talking about sex. Uh, I come uh, from a community which uh, divorce is a cultural stigma. So, and I come from uh, a background where my dad was very strict. We were not allowed to talk to boys. I was not allowed to go out of the house at the age of 11. We're not allowed to have friends come home and I'm not allowed to go to my friend's home. It's school and back home and at home and wherever you go, you're going with your parents after you turn 11. Um, and then I went to do my A-levels in a different town. And sometimes you'd say that it would be a spring effect where you would then go and mess around with the boys. But I think I was very focused on my studying. I didn't do that. But at the age of 19, when I went to do my college, I came across this guy who was very into me. He was very good looking and all the girls were into him. And so he wanted to go out with me. But again, I was very focused with my friends 
say, come on, Vasha, we all want him and he's after you, so go for it. So I, should I call it peer pressure? I went for it, started dating the guy. Within two months, my dad found out. Although he was in a different town, he had come to the hostel, a girl's hostel, to come and say hello to me. And he saw boys talking to girls there. And he then reported it to the matron. And she said, well, your daughter is one of them who brings boys here to talk to her. <laughs> so Dropped you right in it, didn't they? Dropped me right in it. I was then 19 years old. And so my dad said, pack your bags. No more studying for you. We are taking you home. And there I was being taken home. Uh, I think my dad um, thought he would be able to persuade me to come out of this. But I, because at this stage, I, I thought I was in love. And maybe I was. I don't know. I don't think it was love. Last, probably. Just, and my dad tried to persuade me for two years. And then I said, look, the boy is good. He's from our culture. What's wrong? Let me just get married to him. And my dad tried every technique because he thought I love studying. He wanted to send me to England to study. And I was like rebelling. Sending you to England? Where were you? I was in Kenya. Ah, right. Yeah. So I'm originally from Kenya. Anyway, when I turned 21, he accepted and said, okay, fine, get married to this guy. And I got married, you know, uh, rebelled, accepted, got married. Within three months of getting married, I realized there's major problems within that marriage because it was we were living in a joint family. He what do you mean, joint family with his parents? So I'm living with his mom, his dad, and his brother. Right. That's quite normal, isn't it? It's a Indian very culture. common thing in yeah. Asian culture. Uh, but what happens behind the scenes in these joint families, some of them can be good, but a lot of them can be traumatic, abusive. Uh, they expect a lot from you as a daughter-in-law and as a partner of their son. They had an elder son who was on drugs. And this story I'm saying for the first time here, I have not put it out there, even in my book. Whoa. Appreciate it. Right. So his brother was on drugs. And after three months, I realized that he wanted to have sex with me. But that's normal in a relating a marriage, right? No, this is his elder brother. <gasps> oh, my God. We're talking of his elder brother who was not married, who was on drugs, who wanted to have sex with me. I'm in a new marriage, in love with my yes, husband. Yes. And his brother is coming to tell me, I'm wanting to watch a blue movie with you. I'd never even heard of a blue movie then. And I want to do whatever. Over the months, I tried to report this to my husband and he wouldn't believe me because these things, this conversation happened when he was at work. I was at home, not working. I wasn't allowed to work. Eventually, when I was allowed to work from within the marriage, they would drop me and pick me and they would take the money that I earned. But wow, this kept the control. on. Yeah. It, it's, uh, when you live in joint families, there is those kind of controls, a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of control of where you're going out. And so for me, again, the fight of freedom, because when I got married, I thought this is a Bollywood movie. I'm coming out of the strictness from my dad and going into a freedom life. And I tied myself further and the freedom was nowhere to be seen. Not only was I restricted further and not being able to study, but I now had somebody who wanted to have sex with me outside of my marriage. You must have felt quite alone, actually, not being able to talk to anyone about this. I was listening because I couldn't go and tell my dad, dad, you were right. I shouldn't have married this guy. 
I could not tell my dad. Oh, no. So I was very much alone uh, and I wasn't allowed to go out. So friends was not there. But when all these things happened, I started going further into depression and I almost was suicidal at that stage as well, thinking, how do I get out of this space? Because I have nowhere or nobody to talk to. Shit, shit, shit. But luckily, one day my dad came to visit me. He'd been uh, to UK for treatment. And after three Oh, can months- I just ask a question? Mm. How did you handle the brother? I couldn't. So every time I'd be very careful not to be alone anywhere near him. And if oh. I was left alone with him, my my mindset would be, I'm going to be raped today. Right, 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 right. So although he never did anything uh, like that, but he'd come and pull me or he'd try and intimidate me by standing oh, very close to la- me. Oh, my God, you poor love. That must have been absolutely dreadful for you, all that. There was. I could not even sit in the toilet and not feel the stress because I would sit there and I would take nearly half an hour to even pee because I was thinking, what next? How do I get out of this? It, it was very traumatic. Very, Probably the very only traumatic. place you felt safe, wasn't it? The yeah. Only place, the loo. yeah, 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 absolutely. So your dad came. So my dad came one day to visit me, and as soon as I saw my dad, I was in tears. Oh. So he knew something was not right, Seriously and he wrong. he then uh, created a, a religious ceremony at home and invited me to go there so that I could then go home. Because even now, to go and visit your parents, you need an excuse. You can't just go and visit your parents. Oh, why? That's prison. There is prison. There is a huge prison. And I did not realize what a huge prison I was. It was a cage, a golden cage, right? Um, I went away for the religious ceremony. And then we came back with my dad and other people to discuss all these things with their family. That all these things which are happening here are not right. And they said, well... That is not happening and we haven't seen it. Although I talked to his mom about it. I talked to my ex about it. Eventually, I walked out of that marriage and went back to live with my dad. Um, And that was traumatic in itself because every day I'd hear, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. What about your mom? What about your mom in all this? So my mom and my grandmother, my grandmother is such a powerful lady. She kept on telling my dad, you cannot torment her more than what she's already tormented. You need to leave her alone. She made a mistake. She's learned a hard lesson. So the marriage only lasted one year, if that. But after that, so I was not divorced yet. And after that, some family connections between the two families suggested that I go and live in the same town, which is Nairobi, the capital city, and maybe try talking to him, dating again. So I went to again live in a hostel somewhere, although I was still married to him, and start dating him so we can start connecting on a different level outside of the family circle. So I went to work alone and my dad said, if you're going out of the house and going to go and date him again, I am not going to give you a penny. You need to stand on your two feet. So I did. I went to Nairobi. I found a job. I stayed at the hostel. Mm. I started dating my husband at that stage. And wow, what a wonderful life he had because he had the cake and the icing. He was living with his family and he was having sex with me. What better things would he want in life? So this continued for one year. Oh, my God, a year. One year because can you imagine how... My self-confidence and self-worth was this law to have allowed that, yeah? 
for one year, this continued. And my dad kept on telling me, you need to go for a divorce. This is, he's not going to change. He's not going to do anything. Because all I was asking him is either his brother gets married or he moves out or his brother moves out. Three choices here. And he chose none. After one year, I thought, okay, it's time to wake up. I filed for a divorce. And in that country, in Kenya, you're given six weeks to think about whether you want to still continue with the divorce or not when you file for it. When the judge heard the story, in two weeks, we were divorced. Not six weeks. Two weeks, we were divorced. And he was shocked beyond words. Like, how did this even happen? You wow. blinked your eyes and we were divorced. And... I cannot tell you what a celebration it Can was for me. I went and celebrated with my friends. I went and had a drink with them, had dinner, and I felt the power of um, freedom, of liberty, of not within confine of anybody, just me. Amazing. Just me, what an know? amazing story. But then you got married again, didn't you? But so then I came into this country, and now I'd been bitten once in love. I was not going to go for a love marriage. So I decided to go for an arranged marriage. Oh. <laughs> so right. I met this guy and initially I was introduced to him. Like we get introduced and I didn't sort of like him because he, he I felt he's very traditional. Then after three, four months, I'd looked at other guys through arranged uh, meetings and I bumped into this guy again at a function. And he said, oh, you're still here. Uh, maybe I can take you to Oxford Street to buy you some winter clothes. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I don't like this person. Why is he even talking to me? But he then said, let me take you clubbing. And my sister was next to me and he's like, yeah, let's go clubbing kind of thing. And I was like, come on. I was nudging her. Don't say that. Eventually, anyway, we've been clubbing. And my sister went dancing and me and him got talking. And I realized, oh, my God, you're the kind of person I'm looking for. You are very uh, modern. You're not traditional. Um, the question was to him, uh, I think, I'm looking for a person who would allow me to work after I have children, right? And allow was the word I use then, not anymore. And he mm -hmm. said, of course, why not, you know? And we talked about other things, about wearing traditional clothes at home because it's a norm to wear traditional clothes, not wear Western clothes. And these are questions you ask. Am I going to be allowed to do this within a marriage? Yeah? Am I going to be allowed? Am I going to be allowed? And he's like, no problem. Anyway, after that, he took me on a proper date. He said, let me, not even a date. I'd say he took me winter clothes shopping. And we started our journey at 11 o'clock and we had finished by 1, 2 o'clock buying the clothes. But we ended up spending the whole day and I got home at 11 at night. My. So it was a beautiful date. He is, he was. Something took over. Anyway, he was an amazing person. He, I aligned fully with him for what he brought into my life. He empowered me in different ways, right? So he empowered me to say it's okay to be Indian and be modern and not traditional. So you can have the best of both worlds. He introduced me to conversations when you're having sex, to be intimate when you're having sex. In my first marriage, sex, I could count on my fingertips six times in one year that I was no. there. After that, when I came back and I had the dating, that one year was different. But the first year, I could count on my fingertips six times. In my second marriage, sex became beautiful. My, my husband actually laughed and he said, is this the way you do it? 
And I said, what do you mean? He's like, that's not the way to do it. I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know how to do certain things. And I laughed about it. And I still laugh about it today because, wow, you know, you can be married and not know how to have sex. Oh, yeah. many women don't. Yes. You know, but there are many women that go through years, like 20 years. There are many women that divorce about 40. It's like they're going for a midlife crisis. They, they don't really love their husbands because they were just getting married because they thought they ought to. I mean, I was one of them. And they then start going out and having flings with the young men. And they re and, and I know many young men that have gone with many older ladies and those older ladies have got absolutely no idea because their relationship in their marriage was very vanilla. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah, many women that were in that... <laughs> So, wow, you know, what what an amazing journey I had in my second marriage, yeah? I was uh, sexually, we were great. When we went out, we were called the perfect couple. Mm. Everything was great because he empowered me to, to love my body. He empowered me to explore different things like vibrators. Uh, the, the, I'll tell you a story about how I was introduced to the vibrator. So we'd gone on on our honeymoon. And then we went into this sex shop he took me to. So I'm new in UK, by the way, yeah, not very old. And I, I'm like, what is this? Why are you bringing me here? Like, like, what is this? Yeah. And he's like, calm down. I'm just buying it for a friend. So we go in, we buy a vibrator. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this thing even? Yeah. What are we doing with this thing? <laughs> and, and what is this shop? Like, I was quite shocked. Anyway, we go back to our hotel and he says by the way this is for us I said what do you mean this is for us he's like I'll show you how to use it and he opened me opened my mind and he liberated opened you, the relationship he liberated you. yes he he empowered me he really empowered me to wear short dresses um nice. lingerie he'd buy me good lingerie and I got introduced to feeling good in great lingerie you know that's fantastic so to me, um, he empowered me in lots of things. Sexually, it was fantastic. It was a great marriage. What went wrong in that marriage is alcohol became a good member oh. of our family in uh, the years to come followed by. So when I did get married to him, I did notice he drinks quite a bit. And when I did question it, he said, it's okay. This is UK. Everybody drinks. But it was every day and nearly 16 cans a day, every day. Every single day. That's a lot. That's a lot. And that took over to a level where he got aggressive and financially you feel abused because uh, 900 to 1,000 pounds went on drinking and smoking. Wow. And then emotionally you start feeling because he started changing because the alcohol was taking over his life. Alcohol became his first priority, not his wife, not his children. Alcohol. If he was to decide between buying milk for the children or alcohol, it would have been alcohol. So alcohol took over and he started changing as a person. He loved nothing else but alcohol. And work started getting affected. Our relationship started getting affected. Uh, eventually, I encouraged him to go to a rehab. And, and I even organized a welcome home party for him after six weeks of the rehab, which we paid privately, yeah. 7,000 pounds. So I have my friends waiting for me at home. I'm going to pick him up to come home, to bring him home. And when I went to pick him up, he was drunk. Oh, so that none of it worked then? It worked for three weeks. weeks. 
It worked for three weeks. The crazy money I paid from remortgaging my the house. God, so that you should have got your money back. I should have got my money back. But at that time, you know, you, you're already feeling, oh, my God, I'm going to get my husband back. Because yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. glimpses yeah. of him in the first two weeks when I went to visit him. Mm. And you, you're so happy that you're going to go back to that old cell. And I come home with a drunk person to the welcome home party where everybody is waiting and to feel um, the embarrassment of it all. Uh, because they're expecting somebody who's reformed and mm. they, I have to bring a, a drunk person. Oh, my home. God, how embarrassing. That was very, very embarrassing. So for one year, he tried saying, I'm going to reduce and everything. And then after another year, another rehab. And again, um, the second week he was drinking. And by that time, I thought, you know what? Two rehabs. We've done a detox at home from the GP, which we did together. Uh, and he came home and I, I said, we need to separate. I cannot continue like this. We need, you need to understand the importance of your children, your wife and your marriage. He was happy to go as separate because he thought this is my time not to be nagged and to go and just drink and have no responsibility. Wow. So we separated. He went and rented a place, lived there for six months. After six months, he thought, okay, I'm coming back. Just the way I am. And to me, so six months was for reflection. So he wanted to come back and not changed or even gone worse. And I had my daughter's exams happening then, the 11 plus. So I was supporting her through 11 plus exams. And my parents said, just bring him home. We'll help you. We'll support you with the AA meetings and everything. And he came home. So I had to monitor him and monitor my daughter, taking her to all the exams, and he'd come home with me, and you just blink one time, and he's gone, had a drink. It's not, it doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't no. work. The underlying no. issue that was making him drink was still there. He couldn't get past it, could he? No, but do you know what I didn't realise? That he was traumatised from when he came from Uganda with the idiom thing and everything, and I never picked up that he needed help, he needed counselling, and he needed support. Well, that's not your fault, though, is it? You're still on reflection. You think you feel that, yeah. You feel guilty, don't you? But you feel a bit. You weren't. You weren't a coach at the time to spot these things, right? No, you know? no, no, but, no, um, no, no. But but so so tell me. So you divorced from him, and how was the how was the community after that? I mean, how are you looked upon in the Indian community? Is it still taboo or has it changed? I'll tell you, the first time when I got divorced, divorce was not even heard of in Kenya. Right. And I got divorced. So can you imagine? Yeah. So at that time, all the men, the older men, like my dad's age, when I went into a smaller village, I was told by one of the friends that, Vasha, you need to stop going out. I said, why? She's like, all these men now think, who's going to get into your pants next? Yeah, because now you're a free ticket. To all of them to do, they think they can do whatever they want. Just so because you've been stop. divorced, just yeah. because you've been divorced. Yeah. That yeah. means you were some sort of floozy when you yeah. were married or, you know, how does it no. make you a floozy that you divorce? I don't understand. Because the blame is in the Indian community, 99% of the time the blame is on the woman. If so if no, you divorce, it's your fault. It's your fault. And now you're a you're tarnished. A you're tarnished now. You're tarnished is the right. word. Yes. I get it. You're oh. tarnished and now you are you're damaged goods. 
Oh my God! You are damaged goods, and so they think, okay, fine. Now they she can't get married again. Like and so, you know. So it was very traumatic. I stopped going out because when I heard that, I thought I don't want to be in that position for guys to look at me like that. And I stopped going out wow. for the one year that I stayed with my parents. I'd stay indoors. Uh, after my second marriage, I fought even harder for my second marriage because I thought I cannot fail two marriages. I cannot fail to, although the reasons were different, I cannot fail to marriages. I wanted to work 10 times harder in my second marriage. And I loved him more, obviously, and the marriage was longer. So everything I was fighting for the marriage to work. But when I got divorced, you'd think things would be different. I'm in a different country. I'm in UK. Yeah. It's very modernized. The viewpoint will be different. The cultural stigma is beyond thinking. The things I faced was... Um, if you're going to a party, for instance, and there's a friend and you're just talking to the husband, saying hello or how are you, or they come and talk to you, yeah, the woman will feel you're going to take the husband away. But why? The community, the community will think, oh, my God, you divorced twice. What have you done wrong? What's wrong with you? Wow. And if you go to a wedding and they, you're going to a relative's wedding, they will move away from you. They will not sit on the same table as you. No way. So does that still happen now? It happened to me when I got divorced. When he so how long the ago family. have you been divorced? How long ago was 2015. that? 2015. Oh, right. Not long ago then. So not long changed. ago. So I remember sitting at a table at a wedding where I was sat with one of his aunties at a, at a wedding and the husband came and took her away because he didn't want her to be communicating with me. Oh because God, that's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So if you divorce their side of the family, the opposite side, want to start distancing themselves away from you and counting you as the wrong person, no matter what the reason of the divorce was, the woman is always going to be blamed. So for... are you still experiencing that now? Yeah, you do experience so that. So how yeah. are you dealing with that now? Like for any anybody in the audience that are, that are in that same position that you're in, how are you dealing with that now? I, For me, personally, I think going to weddings became very traumatic for me at that time. And even now, if I can avoid going to weddings, I do. Oh. Uh, and if I do go to weddings, uh, I tend not to go to his side because I experienced first rate the, the way they treated me. So for me, if I go to any weddings, it's from my side, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm Why okay would you be that. invited? Like when people divorce, generally, you don't have much to do with their family. I mean, I don't with my ex-husband. So why are you still invited to things on their side? On I think side? because it was still very new, as and his nieces knew me for long, eighteen oh, years. Okay. So then they, and they still loved want... you, right? Yeah. But I didn't feel comfortable going. I sent my daughters because obviously they're still part of that yeah, family. Send them off, drop yeah. them, pick them. But I didn't attend it because I didn't feel comfortable. So even till today, um, as soon as you say divorced, people say, oh. And then you say divorced twice and they're like, oh, my God. It's it's a viewpoint. You are not different to any other person no matter no. how many times you're divorced. You're, you no. are still you. Yeah. And you're just like any other ordinary person. But you're tarnished with this brush of divorce once, twice, no matter what the reason. So so when you meet, so now if you're to meet a man in the Indian community who doesn't know anything about you and you start talking and then you tell him you're divorced, do, I mean, even now, do they change their attitude it, towards you? 
the younger generation, I've got a friend who had a child and she got married to this guy who's never been married. That she's 12, 13 years younger to me. But in my generation, the viewpoint is very similar wow. as to... And and the age group which is coming out now, the guys, the Indian guys, if I was to look at an Indian guy to date, their viewpoint is I was forced into an arranged marriage. I am now out of that marriage. I didn't enjoy the marriage. I am not going to be dating a woman. I'm just going to have fun now. So for them, my age group, guys think, mm -mm, I don't long-term relationship. I just want fun. Of course, some guys are there who are good, yeah. but the majority of them think, I'm done with marriage. I just want some fun. So it's actually really to... difficult for you, isn't it, Varsha, to try and meet someone that doesn't judge if yeah. they're in that community? No, absolutely. I think, first of all, you'll be judged as to you divorced twice. And then uh, it, no matter how you're strong, you brought up your children, yourself together, whatnot, they might think you're too independent for them. Uh, they might almost yeah. be threatened by that. You know, it won't be the man. Yeah, because you've you've had to step up. You've had to yeah, step up yeah, to yeah, be you the have. man. You know, so you had no choice. No, you had no choice. You had absolutely no choice. But it's it's so important for women to realize that how important uh, sexual education is. How important it is to empower your your daughters, especially uh, about being financially independent and uh, even empowering them to explore sex. So that they don't go into a marriage not even knowing what sex is all about. Because I had sex the first time within the marriage. I never had sex before outside of the marriage. So to me, it was like I I didn't even know what I was doing. But I most women meant. But most women, I mean, I would say most women, 99.9% of women in your community are all in the same boat when they get married then. If they've had strict dads like you've had. I think, yes, most of us would be in the same boat. And especially if you're coming from um, maybe a country like Africa or India, uh, the the taboos and the culture and the strictness would all be very similar, I would assume. I mean, how can you change that culture? We are really trying. The whole idea of me creating all women's club, the whole idea behind it is to empower women and to showcase that, look, we as women need to grow. We need to empower other women and we need to change society. We need to, although it's a diverse community, but all initially started as an Asian community. And it was originally to say, let's change the way we think. Let's improve our society. Let's fight against the cultural stigma, uh, against divorce or the taboos against anything, whether it's gay, lesbian, whatever we're talking about here. And but then I wanted it more diverse because all the communities, uh, like African communities, said we have the same problems. Uh, a lady in Poland told me we have the same issues. So I said, you know what? Let's create a diverse community and empower them in every aspect and every way. You know, so we amazing. we're talking about different things. We give financial value. We talk about finances. We talk about mindset. How can you improve yourself uh, and grow your personal development? your energy levels, your vibrations, your relationship, communication skills. Yeah, um, I've been on with relationships, haven't I? But I've got to come back on for the sex. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I've got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody obviously wants to join the group, it's a very empowering group. And if you're a business owner, obviously, then uh, you showcase your businesses there. 
uh, we want to empower everyone in every way so that you thrive and you shine. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. Listen, time is up now. Mm. And uh, it's been an amazing chat. I've, I've, I've really learned lots about you, Varsha. And what I'd like you to do now is to, to give information about how people can contact you. So if there are any, anybody in the audience, uh, Indian women, who are just going to go through divorce, or whatever, um, can you give us your, I mean, I'm going to put them in the, I'm going to put them in the uh, Facebook group, but this is this is for you know for for Spotify. It's hearing only. So if you just want to reel out your social media and the contact details for everyone, yeah. So on the Facebook, you just look up All Women's Club, and that's the Facebook group. And we have an Instagram account. Again, it's called All Underscore Women's Club, and that's the Instagram. Um, you can contact me directly. Uh, on zero uh, seven nine zero eight four double eight seven nine two, and I'd love for the women to be part of my community because we all grow together. As a community, we grow together and let's empower each other. And I can vouch for that because I'm part of the group and there's some fantastic talks that go on in there. Very, very supportive. And every all the women are lovely. There are 3,000 of them, aren't there? 3,000 women. 3,400, yeah. 3,400 right, yeah. women. women. So listen, there's one last question I'd like to ask you. And that is, if you were to meet the young 18-year-old you again, what would you advise? I would go and have sex. I would go and explore. I would go and have sex Excellent. and know before I enter marriage what sex is all about. I would uh, I would not rush into a marriage. And when you think you're in love at 18, 19, you have so much ahead of you. Just enjoy the relationship if you're in a relationship and don't rush to get married because marriage, for me at the moment, is just a piece of certificate. But don't rush into it. Take your time because what you are going to feel at 19, you're not going to feel at 25. You might want something completely different to what you want at 19. And so mm. that marriage is probably not going to work. And you're very young. You don't know what you want. You're infatuated. You think you're in love. Exactly. So just go with the relationship. Go and enjoy your sexual life. Hey. And then. And come and get some toys. Come and get some toys from my website. I've got <laughs> some great toys now because I've got Love Honey, which is to me is is very for, for beginners, but now I've got Best Buy where they're mechanical. Oh my god, they're amazing! Really? <laughs> yeah. So if any of you, any of you listeners, or anybody on Facebook want to check it out, go to my link tree. You can see it up there on my on the, on my background. Um, but listen, here you have it, everyone. <laughs> Another excellent, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Barsa, for sharing your your intimate details with us and your your life and your marriages it's been really interesting so i really thank you for that um so listen next month we've got saturday uh the 5th of may we've got a uh, priestess francesca who's going to be talking about sex and healing she's uh, an erotic activist sexual revolutionary and advocate for collective librarian through erotic embodiment of all forms say that when you're drunk anyway really looking forward to that conversation next month so thank you all so much for taking the time to tune in i love you all see you next time to your success i'm out